0: This is the Art of Network Engineering Podcast. In this podcast, we'll explore tools, technologies, and talented people. We aim bring you information that will expand your skill sets and toolbox and share the stories of fellow network engineers.
1: And now we go backstage with the Nacho Man as he prepares for the next colossal matchup between Team IPv4 and Team IPv6. Nacho Man, what are your thoughts on this next test for
2: supremacy? Let me tell you something here, Mean Gene Lapdef, and I'll be honest with you. I'm feeling a little disrespected, yeah you see everybody here knows that ipb4 and the natural man have been the undisputed tag team champions of the tcp/ip stack for decades decades i said mean gene oh yeah now we've had this ipv6 challenger up in our collective faces for a long time saying that they're the biggest and the baddest but frankly i just don't see it i mean 128 bits ain't nobody got time for that mean genes yeah honestly can ipv6 really reign supreme over ipv4 and the natural man don't worry, mean Jean Laptev. that's a rhetorical question, doesn't require an answer, yeah. What I will say is that the A1 goat will rise to the top, oh yeah. All I gotta say to the wonderful folks at home is to make sure you tune into this one and have your popcorn ready. Oh, yeah. All right, Mean Gene, I've said my piece. Don't need any more talkie time. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, folks, you heard it here first. The battle between IPv4 and IPv6 rages on. Now stay tuned for this episode of The Art of Network Engineering. (laughs)
0: <laughs> welcome to the art of network engineering. I wish I could be a wrestler too, uh, but I am AJ Murray at No Blinky Blinky. And, and that was just an amazing, an amazing intro. I cannot wait to edit this and share this with the world. You guys did a great job. I mean, like, seriously, that was, that was amazing.
1: That was all Tim.
0: <laughs> he is the Nacho Man, Tim Bertino, at Tim Bertino. Tim, what what a bang-up job, man. Where where do you come up with this stuff? I told you I drink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to get the creative juices flowing. How you been, Tim?
3: I, I do, I do got to say, I was by no means, because I know we've talked about this a lot of times on the show and had different people on talking about it, I was by no means trying to start a cultural war, I was just poking fun at all the V four and V six stuff we hear all the time.
0: Why not? Why not? And to Andy Lapteff. He is mean Jean Andy Laptev, How you doing, Andy?
1: Nat forever, man. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of right. Nat and just like automation, I'm not crazy about V six. So Tim, I got your back, brother. <laughs> I
3: gotta I gotta I gotta do a plug though. There was a, a recent uh cables to clouds episode on uh, AI and, and drumming up cloud configuration. Oh, yeah, and that was yeah, a big yeah. theme of that is that is that NAT is one of the best security tools out there on the planet. So yeah, NAT forever. <laughs> that Yeah, that was for Chris. <laughs> I'll
1: correct myself. I love automation. I dislike coding. So (laughs) so, (laughs) circling back, um, I'm great AJ. It's great to see everybody. I'm, I'm thrilled to have our host tonight. Um, it's, it's summertime as we record a lot of pool time with the kids. We're heading down to the beach this weekend. So, um, Life is good, work is great. Um, how you doing, man? How's AJ?
0: Doing well, doing well. Things are quite busy here in Vermont. Uh, we recently had quite a bit of flooding, a little bit of water. Uh, I have not personally suffered any consequences of that, but um, I've been trying to pitch in and help out where I can. And uh, it's it's crazy, man the power the power of water. Um, I have not seen anything like it. I don't know if if ever, but it's it's just wild stuff when Mother Nature kicks up. Those shots I, I you do- got
3: were amazing, man. I was going to say, and I kind of wanted to ask you about that, because you said you you had gotten involved. How how did you get involved? Was there a specific agency (laughs) that reached out, or or did you just start flying your drone around until somebody said, buddy, come here?
0: Uh, Right. Uh, So the power of social media, man. Um, So the director of geospatial studies at the University of Vermont was posting some shots on Twitter of what was going on. And this was a day after the rain had kind of stopped, but now all the water is making its way into rivers and streams and and down towards the lake. And that's when the flooding really started to kick up. And so um, I reached out to him uh, in a DM via Twitter and I said, hey, I have my FAA Part 107, which is a commercial unmanned aircraft systems license Uh, Right, it's a commercial FAA drone license, and I said, I have a drone. Can I help out? You know, he's he's taking pictures of damage assessment or damaged areas and flooding, and they're passing those images to state and federal agencies so they can do the damage assessment and make decisions about where to send resources. And so he said, Yeah, I could use your help. Um, There's a particular river called the Lemoyne River. It flows for. Quite a, quite a ways, uh, and they had zero coverage. They had no idea what was going on on the Lamoille River, so they asked me to take my drone, drive as far north as I could, take pictures of serious flooding, uh, any sort of damage that I could see with the drone and uh, get those pictures back. And it felt really good to help out because the one big piece of feedback I got from him was that I was more helpful to him than six commercial satellite imagery companies. They, they They could not take pictures fast enough. They could not get them to him fast enough as I could, right? Like I'd put the drone up in the air. I'd take a few pictures. Copy him over to my phone. I'd send like really critical ones to him in a DM via Twitter. And then at night, I offloaded everything. And uploaded them to uh, a link that he gave me, and then he was able to download them all and go through everything. And he he said the stuff was super helpful. The National uh, uh, Weather Service was using them to kind of validate flood prediction data, so it was just really cool. You know, like it was really cool to help out in that way. It was not cool to to see everything that I saw. I mean, people's homes were washed away. There was stuff floating in the river that you know does not belong in a river. Like it was it was really tough to like watch, but it was. Great to be able to help out. I got a question. Yeah, had, What's a commercial a
1: drone thing. license? <laughs> I mean, you know, like yeah, if yeah, you yeah. buy a drone, do you have to get that, or is that a special thing you did?
0: So the, there's two basically two different categories of uh, drone licenses, right? There's if you if you fly anything that weighs like 50 pounds or less, um, you have to either have a hobbyist license or a commercial license and hobbyist is it is what it is right you're flying for fun if you're flying for any other reason other than fun and that's not just making money then you have to get the FAA commercial license uh and to do that you have to you know understand weather you have to know certain rules of the air there is restrictions applied to drones there there's all of this stuff right and I'm just an aviation nerd I had absolutely no reason to go get that other than I wanted to and hey let's face it I like certifications. So <laughs> it was just <laughs> you like something them and you that, got them all. Yeah, Wait a minute. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I got it now. You you got every technical cert networking there is. So now you went after a different vertical. <laughs> now you're in aviation. <laughs> That's great man. Maybe, great maybe. great great work uh now i want a drone
0: yeah they're they're fun as hell man i recommend them to anybody but i digress uh th- thank you for asking it's been a lot of fun um i am very excited about our guest tonight i i do want to get on with the show because he's doing us a huge solid by staying up very late where he is uh to hang with us and record this episode uh everybody
4: welcome ethan ethan to the episode thank you so much ethan, for morning,
3: ethan.
4: well thank you gentlemen pleasure to be here. Nice to actually speak to you in person rather than just over messages.
0: How are we all? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm very uh, grateful that you're spending the time with us. Um, we're doing a little bit of a throwback. I feel like we haven't done one of these in a long time. Like We used to occasionally have people from the community on the show. Uh, Ethan, you, you stand on your own two legs, man. Like you, you do an awful lot. You're a young guy. You put everything out there on social media, and, and you're doing some really cool stuff. So um, I'm I'm excited to dig in with you. Thanks again for, for joining us.
4: Anytime. I couldn't think of anything better to be doing at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna ask you what the local time is yeah. there. Oof. Great answer. Yeah, f- f- Do f- you, f- f- you have f- work f- tomorrow f- past even? Two. Um, I booked half a day so I could spend the morning with you folks. <laughs> oh, so thank you. <laughs> thank but you. But yeah, nice. no, honestly. No, thank thank you for having me.
3: Another thing I love about Ethan is that we always see him show up in different uh, tweets and LinkedIn posts wearing that amazing A1 pullover he's got there. (laughs) He's always repping for us. We appreciate
4: it. 100%. I thought I I had to be uh, part of it with the theme, like you all have your microphone. So I thought I've I've got to do something on that.
1: You look great. Thank you.
4: (laughs) Oh, you're making me blush, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: love your accent. I
4: really do. Oh, see, everyone, like so. everyone like really mugs me off about it. To be honest, because I'm, I'm yeah. up in like the north of England, yeah, and it's like where where I live it's a town called Burnley. But rather than it being like LeY, we pronounce it LeH, so it's like Burnley. That everyone, everyone mugs me off for.
1: It just <laughs> dawned on me. Do you do you do you watch Ted Lasso? I
4: do not. I haven't watched it yet. Okay.
1: So so anybody who watches it, there's a soccer star, Jamie. He sounds just like Jamie. He must be from the same area and have the same dialect. Because I'm like, where? Why is this so familiar? So
0: <laughs> I know what you're talking about Andy. That's you're right. Yeah, 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 you're right.
1: So where do we start, man? Where where do we jump in here with Ethan?
0: I would love to know uh, how Ethan got into network engineering, and then I know that you're very tied into service providers. So. Uh, to, as a follow on to that later on, I, I want to dive into that with you. So, so what got you into network engineering?
4: Um, I'll be completely honest. Like a lot of people, I just kind of fell into it. Um, when I, when I left school at 16, um, I'm not too sure what it is in the U S but I came out of school with a single, it's called a GCSE, um, which was in it. So it's just a case of like showing how how to use a computer. um, and then I went to college straight after that, did did my level one because I didn't have enough uh, accreditations to get on any higher levels. Um, did that for a year. Again, it was just kind of showing how can I use Excel? How can I create leaflets? How can I use a PC pretty much? Um, now, the, the reason why I went to college for that is I actually wanted to be a chef when I was leaving school. I just missed this part out, to be honest. Um, You wanted to be a chef, you said? Yes. So um, one of the classes that I took was um, hospitality. But the closest college to me um, was like a two-hour bus journey. And being 16, I was not getting up early in the morning. I was like, I do not want to travel two hours in the morning. two hours back um so yeah so rather than actually going into hospitality i went into it instead um so i passed my first year um and then in the second year you you had the option to go into either software or networking. Um I didn't really know what networking was to be honest. So I thought I'll I'll try, we'll try software. Um and luckily they give you like a week or two where you can kind of swap courses. So on the first sort of project that they gave us or class, um it was building an ATM with C. And I got about three days in and I started pulling my hair out because I could not code to save my life. A, so uh, preach. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> so so after that i asked if i could switch to networking um and i remember exactly to this day on the first day that i went in it was literally a case of connecting two P's into a switch configuring an ip address and pinging across on cmd and at that point my mind was just absolutely blown i was like how how is this working how is what like what's happening and then straight after that, then my college tutor decided to show me what the internet is and started explaining to me a little bit about BGP. And I was like, <laughs> like, like what is going on? Um I love it. So yes. So I, I ended up doing um, the, the level two networking course. Um, it was predominantly based just around um, Netacad, to be honest, um, and doing like certain modules just just based around generic networking. Um and then after that, when you're in college, you can either go on to a level three, which is your final year before you actually go and do a degree, or you can go and do an apprenticeship. Um, so rather than just doing theory, um, I decided to go on the apprenticeship route. Um, so actually getting hands on with all the, the physical equipment, logging into Cisco 887s, uh, clearing the config off them setting up VoIP phones and um, it was quite a wide variety um, of, of jobs that I was doing so I'd be working with printers installing cartridges working with Avaya phones um, configuring Cisco routers to be sent out and um, doing a lot of cabling um, which it was fun at the time and um, but after you do it for a couple of weeks it's it's a bit repetitive, to be honest.
1: <laughs>
4: um, and yeah, that that's sort of like my my story. into network engineering that I kind of just fell into it. To be completely honest with you, it does it does seem now, like that
3: that that can be a common theme because I was the same way, and that's what I one of the reasons I really appreciate how a lot of colleges, no matter what uh, you know technology specialization you're getting into, like you said, you were coding. Andy and I were both uh, computer science. Majors originally, and and that's what I got into. So I was getting hit over the head with C plus plus and calculus, and I'm like, oh shit, what am I doing here? Um, and then it it just so happened that as part of the curriculum, you know, we had to take at least uh, intro to networking classes. So we had NetAcad as well at the school I went to, and just by chance, I sat into that because it was technically still part of my program or one class that I had to take as an elective. So I decided to go for it, and I sat in on that, and it was just. Thing, like you mentioned, it was just that things made sense in a way that they did not behind the keyboard in a C++ course. So I, I'm glad that we had that opportunity to have that breadth of knowledge so we're introduced into multiple things so we can find out what best suits us. Versus trying to make us, who weren't necessarily coders, mold ourselves into something that we weren't necessarily. So it's cool to sometimes. You, I think you think your story is unique, uh, and you're kind of in it alone until you start having these conversations. and And you're you're yet another one, Ethan, of somebody that has a similar story to me. So it's always cool to hear that.
0: Yeah, I, I've yeah. had a similar kind of story, and it looks like Chris uh, BGP Man in the chat also has a very similar story as well. So. I love well, like that. We got to quote passion. him. We got to
3: quote him. Chris says, comp side dropouts <laughs> of so the world unite.
0: <laughs> comp side dropouts, AKA network engineers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, what,
1: Chris, when, when when you were, um, or Ethan rather, when you were talking about when you first saw like how it was working and looking at the protocols and pinging and like you, like I started to light up inside cause I remember that excitement, you know, you fast forward a decade of getting pounded and maintenance windows and you it's. It was easy for me to forget that initial excitement. But, you know, I was a cable guy for an ISP putting things on a network, but I, I only knew my little part. And then as, as the years went on, I'm like, well, I wanted to know, well, how, how is all this stuff working? And then I said, and again, Cisco yeah. Netacad, similar to you. And I had that same like, poof, like, oh, my God. you When you realize all this stuff that's happening... Below the like surface and to make all this work, it's like yeah, it's, it really grabs you, right? It, it, the passion for networking is so easy to to catch if you have that experience, right?
4: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think one of one of the best things is is when you start, like you said, looking under the hood. There, there's just so much that you can delve into. Okay, so just from that. Okay, so what what else is there? All oh, these routing protocols, all oh, these other other things like layer two, you you switching your VLANs and it's just like, for me, it was just like fire ignited. It was like, oh, right, okay, so I want to look at this. I want to look at that. I want to look at that. I mean, I'm still like that at the minute today. I see another certification coming out. Oh, I, I, I might go I might go for that, you know, like a little bit later down the line. I've just got like this massive list of certifications that I want to take.
1: <laughs> Speaking I of mean, certifications, were certifications part of that early learning journey, like in, in high school and in, in university? Was there any certs? I know you said you did Netacad. Was that... Was that the only CERT, like a CCNA level?
4: Yeah. So um, what it was is when I started off on my apprenticeship, so it was in two years. So the first year um, you'd be doing uh, CSEN. So you you one and two. And then in the second year, you would then do your um, three and four. Um, So it basically gives you the training for it. Um, But I didn't actually take the exam until quite a few years after um i just never felt ready for it to be completely honest and it was kind of just i kind of just kept pushing it back and pushing it back and yeah i just didn't think i was ready for it at that, at that specific time is but anyone I, ever I, ready for that exam <laughs> uh, especially when it's your first one i mean it's so daunting yeah. like just right. the amount of stuff that you've got to learn yeah but i didn't really know about certifications up until after i started my apprenticeship and i was i was eight Tea. when I first found out about certifications and a lot, then I really started deep, deep diving into the world of network engineering. And here I, talk,
3: I, I was going to okay. say, let, let's talk about that transition a little bit, because that was something that I found a little bit difficult because I, I was like you, I got into those Netacad classes. Things really made sense. I, Early on in college, I just kind of made that decision that, hey, I want to get into some facet of network administration, network engineering. But then I get out of school and I don't have any marketable skills other than being in those classes around networking. Uh, I had been in college working a end user computing desktop support help desk role. So I was able to do that initially. Uh, right out of school because I, I just I didn't have the skill sets or the the experience that employers wanted for networking right away.
4: So how did how did you handle that? And um, so luckily for me, um, like I said, so I did my level two in college. So that, that was just purely theory based. Um, and like I said, that, that gave you an understanding as to certain components of networking. And then I'll be completely honest with you. Um, I think I was quite lucky to be hired um, in an apprenticeship. Um, Luckily, the the company that was actually hiring was hiring a total of four engineers, um, four four apprenticeship engineers, that is, so people straight out of college who are wanting to start their career. So luckily for me, I I was actually given a chance to actually develop in the real world rather than just on theory-based topics. Um, So, yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of the, the transition from theory into into hands-on.
3: So you really got to jump into networking right away out of school, essentially?
4: Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, that's fantastic. Getting hands-on. I mean, I'm, I'm quite lucky now to have found something career-wise that I genuinely love at pretty much my first ever proper job um, as soon as I turned 18. So not a lot of people can say that. And yeah, honestly, I, I love what I do. I, I don't think I'd ever change my career.
1: That's fantastic to hear. That that apprenticeship was it paid for? I'm just asking because, like, I just I just did a, a video of like you know how I broke in, and it was really just taking the, the lowest level technical type job that I could find just to get my foot in the door somewhere. I mean, it was even, I don't want to say below help desk, but you know, it was like running wires at a central office. So I, 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 it sounds like your apprenticeship was the beginning of kind of how you broke in, getting the experience that, that Tim just talked about. Was that a paid apprenticeship and did that turn into other things for you?
4: Yeah, so um, as the apprenticeship, it was fully paid um, for, for the two years. Um, I actually finished my apprenticeship in about 18 months, um, so I, I worked on different departments Um obviously had to complete all the Netacad modules as well as doing certain, th- uh, a couple of theory based, um, but more like working practices, um, giving examples of like logging into a CLI and, and things like that. Um, and after the 18 months, then I got offered uh, a full time first line position, um, which was working just specifically with with ADSL circuits. So it, it'd be like running status checks, KBDs, um, checking signal to noise ratios, things like that, sending out new filters, um, uh, potentially new routers, raising faults with, um, different suppliers in the UK. Um, and, and that was my, my first full-time job with the same company that actually gave me uh, the opportunity for the apprenticeship. Um, mm. and then from there, I've, I've moved to a couple of different places. Um, I've had quite a quick rise. Um, based on where I am now compared to when I first started. Um, so the apprenticeship
1: you- turned into a full time job after the 18 months? Yeah. Right? Okay. And it wasn't the place you were working on at the apprenticeship. I'm not trying to over pivot on this, but I think that the most difficult part is breaking in and getting your first shot. And, and you have an incredible story that you, you you found the passion. You went through Neticad, That apprenticeship sounds amazing because you're getting experience. They're paying you. Um. So that's a huge that's, that's a huge learning thing. I think that's that's great to share. I don't even know if they have. I mean, do we have networking apprenticeships in the states, guys? Like, I, I mean, I don't is,
4: even it in, know. is it interns potentially over in okay. the U.S.? I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, don't quote me that i'm not 100 percent sure but, no yeah but it, it sounds it, like definitely. a great
1: program that you were you were a part of and then the fact that that so did another company at the end of your apprenticeship reach out
4: and, and hire you no it was actually the same company um that hired right. me on the on the apprenticeship um and then i stayed there for i think around eight eight months after that but there's only so much that you can learn with dsl and doing the exact same status checks and changing the SNR. Uh, to, to increase your speeds, um. So yeah, then I ended up moving from my friendship company, um, to a, a, dedic- a real dedicated first line engineer, um, which was working with like FTTC, uh, FTTP, um, lease lines logging in, doing diagnostics, working with a, a tier two team, um, doing PSTN and a little bit of Vipe. and I'd I'd say that job there is is really where things started to really take off for me
1: talking about dsl and p you know pots and pts like is this service provider stuff is this like telecommunications what 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 realm of networking were you in you're talking about dsl like over here it would be like you know a, it's like a central office <laughs> telecom kind of not necessarily network engineering
4: uh so dsl uh dynamic subscriber line yeah 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 so it's that, that's exactly what it is over here. And then PSTN is just your, your actual phone lines over here in the UK.
1: So we're so working you, for the phone company.
3: I was say, you, you essentially <laughs> jumped into service provider right away. Yeah,
1: but right, like. like, I mean, I know you're oh, in service provider now, or you have been. So did you start yes. in service provider and you've just always been in service provider?
4: Uh, no, so I, I started okay. in an MSP um, and then okay. I went to um, an ISP, um, which is Daisy Communications. It's one of the largest ones in the UK. Um, Luckily, I used to do
0: work with those guys.
4: Really?
0: (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. When when I used to manage uh, an IT team, um, part of it was in the UK. And one of their suppliers, that they used to work with Daisy all the time. And I would have very regular meetings with our Daisy account reps and talk to them about what we're working on and all that good stuff. That's funny.
1: For anybody listening who doesn't know what an MSP is, because... I'm one of them. I get confused with like MSP and VAR and partner. <laughs> like there seems to be this whole, uh, right?
0: Yeah. So
1: what? Yeah. MSP is managed service provider, right? Right. Yes. What is that? Is, is that a VAR that monitors your network? Like
3: what's the... So it,
0: it can be. Not not all VARs are MSPs and not all MSPs are VARs, right? So oh, here
1: we go, Tim. This again. <laughs>
3: it's the jacuzzi thing.
1: All, exactly. All over not... What was that? <laughs> Somebody said something that blew my mind.
3: Uh, Not all all jacuzzis are
0: pools. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: All jacuzzis (laughs) are hot tubs, but not all hot tubs (laughs) Tubs are jacuzzis.
0: (laughs) It's just like the Xerox and copier thing, right? Yeah, Yeah. so here we go. So So they're similar. They're similar, but managed service providers will do just that. They will manage services for you, right? Like Maybe it's a small company that doesn't have an IT staff, but they have IT needs. Um, So they will hire a managed service provider to come in and take care of all of your IT stuff for you. Uh, I work for a partner. So uh, we also have a managed services group. I work with them. Uh, It's a service that we offer. But it's not the only reason why you come to the company that I work for. Right. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of different terms to throw around out there, but that's effectively okay. the managed services. They'll, they will sell you equipment and stuff like that. Um, but they, they typically deploy it for you as a built-in So they'll service. deploy it. And then, like, if you have to and add a VLAN for something, and, they'll come yeah. out and
1: do that. Right. Like, yeah. okay. Yeah. So they're, they're got, got it. Okay. You started MSP and how's service provider life? I, I worked at an ISP at the NOC and, Oh, my God. What a fire hose of just <laughs> technology stacks. That, like, how is
4: this all working? What? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, to be fair, when um, I was at Daze, it wasn't necessarily um, core. So that that was pretty straightforward. After a few months, it, it was easy enough. Um, I mean, the most difficult diagnostics was really slow speeds on a lease line. Um, and it'd just be a case of logging in just running your generic checks and that'd that'd be that
3: when you say it wasn't necessarily core does that mean you were more customer facing you were dealing with specifically like customer handoffs and that kind of thing Okay.
4: yeah 100% it it was actually like first line call center so um, we just have general customers just calling in because picking up the phone running diags um, and just trying to resolve the issue Um, but obviously you you had quite a a wide variety of of different technologies. Um, so I say you had your your normal broadband, different variations of your broadband, your phone lines, your ISDN, um, your lease lines. Um, predominantly were with Cisco, and um, we we used some Huawei's. So it wasn't very technical in a sense because a lot of it was already done. Um, it was just a case of pretty much that the hardest thing was just running show commands or display commands. Essentially, on the uh, on the devices. Were you
1: talking to customers? Yeah, they call in. Okay, so that is another really good skill. I think when you're working directly with customers that are unhappy with their service, right, you can really develop some people skills, communication skills. You feel like that helped being on the phone with customers early on.
4: Yeah, hundred percent. That it doesn't necessarily matter what scenario. I go into now and um, I'm, I'm always comfortable I've, I've got really good personal skills and um, being able to actually talk to them listen to the problems that they've got being able to understand their issues and then being able to talk them through the steps in order to get to the resolution and um, that's definitely one skill that has been really helpful throughout my whole career is, is just having good personal skills. Based yeah, that's, de- that's, the that's definitely,
3: definitely something I wanted to touch on because you said it wasn't necessarily a, a highly technical job, but that doesn't mean it, it wasn't difficult because, yeah, dealing with people, especially when they might be upset that their their service isn't what they thought or they're having issues with it. So do you feel like you had uh, or were pretty comfortable with your customer service skills going into that? Or did you feel like you learned a lot from it?
4: And um, so to start with, I, I was pretty comfortable. Um, it was more so, um, like I was comfortable on the CLI line stuff because of the, the previous job that I'd had um, or on the apprenticeship. Um, as time got on and I did get more technical, um, we we did decide to bring certain things in-house. So at this particular job, um, is they put me through my, my CCNA. Um, so from that, um we then started making in-house changes on the devices different range of IPs configuring HSRP if there's different solutions speaking with the core team to get them to make changes um i don't know if i've just gone on a little bit of a tangent then but <laughs> well let, <laughs> let's great. talk about that you you've
3: <laughs> talked about the the core team as well which i know that yeah. you have have migrated into over time was that uh what kind of relationship was that between those two teams was it kind of an us versus them mentality or do you, did you work well together
4: um it was quite difficult if i'm being completely honest okay just because um daisy as a whole was split into like sister companies so we were more of the retail side of things um whereas the core team was as part of uh, the the, the corporate side of things so we'd essentially have to raise tickets to a completely different company um for, for them to actually do the work um and some of the engineers who i dealt with on the team weren't great so there would have been quite a few escalations and, and things like that it, it was difficult at the start um, but over time, it it did get better.
3: Yeah, I can definitely see where that that could be a tough dynamic. I mean, if you're essentially same team, it's just another group across the hall. That that's one thing. But yeah, when it's split up into a essentially a, a separate company, that can be that can be tough to to get some help from from different folks. So <laughs> you start.
1: <laughs> Sorry, it's my tagline. It used to be at least. Um, you started at the edge, right? Basically customers calling in and, and, and then you work to the core. And that was a common path at the ISP I worked at um, as well. I I moved on before I went to the core. So uh, was that a hard transition from edge to core? Because where I work, the core network was intense where, you know, I was last mile. I, you know, I, I was responsible for these cell sites. So it was fiber handoff to a switch. And then there was a central office. We had a big old chassis there. So there you know, it was two sides to check. But my, my buddy, Mansoor, who was on the show, he, you know, he moves on to core. Man, I'd look over his shoulder and it, it's just such an intense. So like technically, and it, was that a hard transition going from, you know, checking a least line to, oh, my God, I'm responsible for the core network of this gigantic, you know, <laughs>
4: Uh, yeah, well, in between um, the, the job at Daisy Communications, I actually moved on to another te- uh, an, another company. Um, I stayed at that company about 10 months, but that was, um, again, the, the work was quite repetitive. Um, it was for an IS company, um, and a lot of the time it was just implementing ACLs um, for customers coming in. So then from that job, I then moved on to, to the core role where I am now, but yeah, 100% going from su- support to core networks was one hell of a jump that I did not expect. <laughs> it was so, so difficult to just well, you going from one customer
1: again. upset to all the customers upset, right? <laughs> if you have a problem yeah. in the core. <laughs> like, you know, or it's like going from like enterprise to data center, like, oh, I have one <laughs> upset customer. Okay. You know, the northern seaboard is pissed off at me right now. Sorry. You know, like the the blast radius is just huge, I think, when you go into the core, right?
4: Yeah, 100%. I mean, um, I remember my my first week on call at this job, and I remember on the Friday afternoon having a look at how many customers that that we had, and about 200,000, and I was thinking, network, please don't die on me. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) jeez. So... But, I but talked yeah. to
1: I talked to a pilot recently, and I'm like, oh wow, that must be amazing having like 300 souls behind you responsible for. He looked at me dead straight. He's like, yeah, we, we don't really think about that, Andy. We just have a job to do. When you're working at that place, thinking of the 300,000 customers, don't do that, man. Just just you know, do do your job. Take one other thing I wanted to ask before I forget. So, service providers typically a multi vendor environment. Is um, yeah. that is that true? Right. So, challenges in a multi-vendor environment. Do you find it? Um, and, and I'll just overshare here that you know, I I found it difficult to work in you know two, three, five different vendors' ecosystems, syntax, CLIs, and and we all um, we all had you know notes just chock full of syntax of all the different uh, vendor you know CLI syntax stuff. So. To me, that that was the hard the context shifting from one to the other all day. I found really difficult. Is that you know is, is that a hard thing for you? Do you have any tips or tricks for people in multi vendor environments? Like, how do you deal with that?
4: Yeah, so I mean, I, I think the transition for me, it, it wasn't necessarily difficult. Um, I mean, I I pretty much did Cisco and Huawei um, at, at the previous job. Um, we do have some Cisco's and Huawei's here. Um, we've also got Juniper and arista um i pretty much find the actual pretty much the syntax between cisco and arista is really similar there's not really much to actually change um the only difference is obviously with juniper it's a completely different uh software so i mean i work with juniper pretty much well it's like every single day now it's our main vendor um but I think just spending time on the CLI, whether whether you're going to spend time on on the actual CLI or or whether you want to set it up in EVNG, just having the the constant <laughs> constant flow of CLI of running your commands, doing your checks, I think that's the really the only tip that you can have to be comfortable when you are using multiple vendors. And I mean, over time, it just becomes like second nature.
3: Yeah. So you you mentioned using EVNG, and one thing that I've always been kind of fascinated with service providers to understand how and, and when they do things. Because you can't, being in a service provider, like you said, having that many customers, you're not just going full send on changes. You know, you gotta, no. you gotta have things scheduled in maintenance windows. And typically my experience with service providers, it's usually, you know, midnight to 6 a.m. when they're doing things and you know, it's heavily redundant and everything, but wh- you do have to make configuration changes. So are you leveraging things like EVNG to, to lab up topologies and, and build configurations that you're putting into production to then test them out before you uh, go live with them?
4: Yeah, so um, we, we do have our own EVNG server um, in our lab um, based in our headquarters, but we actually have a specific lab room that we try to replicate key areas of the main network so that we can try to actually run it on physical devices rather than EVE. So we've actually got a, a full rack in our lab that, that's full of Juniper, Arista, Cisco, um, MX10K3s, the, the job lot. So that that's where we predominantly, predominantly do it. Um, but we we also do have uh, an e server as well. The engineers can go on and just do generic checks, set up labs, just have a little bit of a fiddle and a play if they want to.
3: So, do you? I guess what? How large is your team? Because I'm almost wondering. Is I would think having a lab room like that with a equipment that's essentially mirroring or close to matching what you have out in production you're gonna want that at least some sort of change control to make sure that you know you're making changes to what is matching in production today and somebody doesn't come in behind you and and uh, mess with it so do you do you treat it kind of like a a mirror of production or is it more of a playground
4: uh, so we, we try to keep it as a mirror Um that like I say so in in our main pops um, we don't have it like-for-like like devices because the cost in the lab would just be humongous um but we try to keep like the key devices um in our lab downstairs um but obviously if you do need to go and make any changes potentially on the devices that you are going to configure then you can just log into the lab make your changes say if you're potentially just wanting to run specific commands on, on a Junos device, then you can just log in, run your commands, make sure that they're running fine. And the best thing is that obviously you've got the software, the firmware versions are, are exactly what they are in um, production as well. So you know that bugs and things like that not going to run into. Can you kind of walk
3: us through what day in the life, if there is a typical one of, of what a core engineer <laughs> would look like? Because I mean, like we just said, if, if you're making changes... You're probably doing it in, now with service provider, there are no off hours, right? Your networks need to be up 24 by seven, but you're typically making changes to the network that could be impactful or at least could shift traffic to you know, another side of the ring or, or whatever you wanna call it. You're probably doing it in off hours. So what what are you doing during the day? Are you, you planning network changes and upgrades? Are you doing operations, break fix kind of stuff? What does a typical day, if that exists, look
4: like for you? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that every day is the same. There's always different things that are happening, so it could potentially be like one thing at the minute is I'm looking to uh, get some new links in to upgrade some some of our um, core links. So I'm putting another hundred gig in, uh, well, a couple of hundred gig links in. So I'm having to speak with uh, different suppliers, get them in, make sure that they patch, speak with the DC team get get the optics out make sure that all of them are in. Um then on the other side of thing is we could potentially just have just generic day-to-day changes, adding VLANs, removing configuration, um, that sort of stuff. And then these um just working with the knock uh, speaking with like wholesale partners, um, getting configuration added on their perspective, uh, training. Um, like I said, these not necessarily two days that that the and i think that's that's one of the uh, that that's one of the best the best things about it that it's just constantly learning it never ends
1: it's not exhausting <laughs> at all it's great <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, how much uh, how much of your job is capacity planning because you mentioned you're bringing in some new 100 gig links is that on you uh, as your role to monitor the, the network and to suggest when, hey, we're starting to bring in a lot of more customers. Our our throughput is growing. We're getting to X percent of our, our max bandwidth. And hey, we think we need to do
4: something. Is that part of your role no so we actually have another person in the company um, whose job it is um to, to have a look at that and see if any links are running hot to try and basically build a graph as to where they think that we're going to be so they will basically say we think what we are going to be at this point we may potentially need to upgrade this link for scalability reasons make sure there's no congestion things like that um so luckily for us the good part is just
0: getting the hands on. So Ethan, I, I want to step back a moment. Um, how, how did you go or how did you get to the core? Is it, you saw a position open up, you applied, did you make friends with some core engineers and say, Hey, I want to do what you're doing. How, how did you make that jump? Cause that sounds like a big jump.
1: I want to guess it was more money. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it was, but I was actually, uh-huh. um, I, I was poached. Um, so hmm. I, I was at, I was at my previous company for about 10 months. Um, and then, um, yeah, I just got a message on LinkedIn to say that we're currently re- recruiting for a, for a core network engineer. And I was like, I heard core network engineer, and like my ears popped up and I was like, really? Um,
0: <laughs> Oh, so, so point of <laughs> clarification then the, the company that you were working for before you made the jump to the core is not the same company. You, you got recruited to come work on the yeah. sport team for somewhere else. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay.
4: Yeah. It's not the same team. Apologies if I didn't make that, uh, make that clear.
0: Nope. No worries. It was kind of like an assumption I was making. Like you, you made that leap inside the company that you were working at, but now, now I know. So it sounds like you were, uh, headhunted, uh, maybe a little bit.
4: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but I, I, completely surprised about it to be honest because I, I didn't think I was at that level and when I went in for the interview they, they were asking me certain questions and I was just, I'll just I'll be upfront and honest like I, I okay. don't know
1: okay okay <laughs> we need to slow down and talk about this I Stop had a similar job. experience <laughs> at an ISP right like so you had a technical interview and you know I, I forget it because it's been a long time but I forget if it's like four, six, eight, like different protocols stacked on each other to make all that MPLS magic, routing instance stuff. Like you know, you're it's it's shared infrastructure, but you're segmenting all the traffic. There's all kinds of privacy concerns and SLAs. Like it's just it's insane how it all works. It really is magic. I think aliens just handed it to us. There's no way people are that smart. (laughs) but it, 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 so that technical interview, were you prepared for it? Did anybody give you a heads up? Did you just like walk in and just get like destroyed? Because it sounds like you were honest, which is really good. I was asked about BGP when I went to the Comcast knock and I told them I'm like, it, it wasn't on the CCNA blueprint when I took it. You know, I, I, I told him a little bit that I knew, which was hardly anything. But I think being transparent and honest about what you don't know, because we've heard so many people like Tim, for some reason, comes to mind um, on hey, like they know the answer. <laughs> so don't lie. <laughs> yeah. Don't try to like, don't, yeah. you know, just just be honest because nobody can know everything. Right. So if you say you don't know, yeah. you know, but you can learn new technologies. I mean, if you if you know OSPF, you can learn BGP. Right. So I'll shut yeah. on now. But how was that interview? Was it intense?
4: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the personal side of things were, were perfectly fine. Um, but yeah, when, when they kind of got onto the technical, I mean, I did quite a, a bit of research the night before. I pretty much just had a look at the job description and Googled every single thing that were on there just to try and cover my back. But I mean, the, the good thing is I'd done quite a lot of studying in between, um, moving jobs. Well moving jobs from daisy to the next company and then from there onwards um i'd, I'd done quite a lot of labbing and and done a lot of revision so a, a lot of it was kind of familiar to me um but yeah when when they asked me certain questions so it was like things like bgp or spf i, w- I was kind of okay with that um asked me about isis i was like i have no idea what that is and then they kind of started going into like root targets, root distinguishes layer two, layer three VPNs, and I'm just like, yeah, um, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you, like I don't really know what it is, but I can have a look into it as soon as I come come out of this interview, and I can I can get back to you on it. Um, but exactly like you said, and honestly, is the best policy. And I think when you kind of go into those interviews, it's not something you can lie about because they'll call you up on it straight away so
1: and because they came after you i'm guessing they saw talent in you and right you said you kind of got poached you got recruited so it's almost like hey this this guy's smart he's a hard worker he's good with customers so let's go get him i mean i'm guessing that's kind of how it went right i mean i will not
4: say smart but <laughs> 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 uh, yeah i mean i mean the the, the thing is i i quite a lot of posting to obviously Twitter and, and LinkedIn. So I, th- I think one of the main potential reasons is I was just key. I, I enjoy doing what I'm doing. I enjoy showing what I'm doing, speaking with different people in the community, things like that. Um, and, I, and I think one of the, the best things is you can't necessarily teach enthusiasm. Hmm. Like you can teach someone to do a job, but hmm. you can't like teach that. someone enthusiasm.
1: And it's hard to fake too.
4: <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent.
1: Yeah, and and you being so—I mean, I, I know—I don't know how much time we have here, but I, I know that you being um, involved, you know, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and the Discord community, like I, I feel that that also shows you know passion and excitement about what you're doing, right? You're you know outside of your own time, you're you're contributing, you're helping, you're in the conversations. I feel like that goes really far, and you know, you have the soft skills, you have the technical skills, you, you do extracurricular things around technology because you're passionate I mean that's that's like the trifecta right there in my opinion
4: yeah 100% and I mean l- luckily for me um, throughout my career I've had quite a lot of people who I look up to uh, mentors um and, and a lot of the stuff that I do for the community is is, gi- is giving back so I mean I'm doing quite a lot of work with um Burnley College where I actually did my networking course um I've recently Got them linked up with, uh, Juniper. Um, and they're actually now a a Juniper partner as well as a a Cisco partner. Um, so just helping like the students be able to have the opportunities that I've had now that I've been sort of in the field. I don't want to say for quite some time because I've not been here long. I've been in about eight years in total. Um, but just being able to give back and just wanting people to succeed. I think that's just one of the best things. Absolutely,
3: yeah. There's a lot to be said it. for paying it forward. So, Ethan, we talk. We've talked a lot about education and people in this field that want to keep furthering their knowledge. And you know, one way that you have done that and continue to do that is through certifications. Do you have any uh, tips and tricks for those out there that might be wanting to jump into some of the same stuff that that you have, as far as? How do you approach a new certification? How do you figure out what it is you should go after? And then how do you prepare for that exam?
4: So I've been working on pretty much only Juniper certification since I kind of moved into this role. Um, so I'll, I'll explain it as if I'm doing my IPSP exam, which is what I'm studying for now. Um, so essentially, the, the way that I kind of break down the exam is I will go through the material on Juniper Open Learning. I'll basically take all, take notes through all of the different modules that you have. Um, so layer two VPNs, layer three VPNs, everything inside it, as well as the um, routing protocol module. Um, what I'll then start to do from that is I'll then have a look at labbing up the specific scenarios for that like layer two VPNs, layer three VPNs, or um, the, the routing protocols. Have a, always comparing it to the blueprint, making sure that I'm staying on track with what is relevant. Um, once I've then sort of done the labbing, um, I'll then read through my notes, but on the areas that I don't necessarily know, I'll have a look for um, like specific documentation around that. Um, just obviously making sure that it's Juniper so that it's correct, uh, essentially. Um okay. And then after that, potentially, if I've got time, I'll maybe try and watch a different video series, whether it is um, like CBT Nuggets, just because sometimes you may potentially have one teacher or one video that explains it one way, and you could potentially have a different trainer like Knox who explains it a different way, and you understand it the second way rather than the first. So that's kind of the way that I'd attack it. Um, obviously. I'm trying to do practice tests, um, the two that you get on the uh, on the portal. But yeah, that that's sort of my way that that I plan for uh, for exams.
1: Did you talk about labbing? Did I miss it? Uh, yes. I'm getting. Uh, it's getting late here. My brain's getting fuzzy. So how <laughs> do you? <laughs> So you're laughing? That's good. I'm glad we talked about it.
0: <laughs> you think it's late here. It's late where he's yeah, at, man. Yeah, hey, hey, yeah Ethan, but he's like
1: 17. He's got all the energy
0: in the world. <laughs> say, uh, Ethan, A-
3: Andy needs some of that English tea you were talking about earlier. Oh, that, that's
4: good. I, I, dr-
3: I drifted off. Apologies.
1: Where, 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 do,
3: you- <laughs> where do you see...
1: Where do you see the future go, man? Like, are you, are you just a diehard service provider? I mean, is that just where the job is or do you love service provider? And that's, that's really where your heart is and you want to do that long-term?
4: I definitely think now that I'm kind of getting comfortable being in the service provider and now I'm understanding a lot more. I mean, comparing SP to enterprise, it's, it's a lot more interesting, especially when you start deep diving into MPLS and like, Layer 2 VPNs, layer 3 VPNs and interprovider options and yeah. Um, I mean, never, never say never. Um, I, I don't know what the future holds, but yeah, I, I love the SP life compared to enterprise. What I've been in before, it's just a lot more interesting. It's a lot, it's a lot more fast paced as well. Um, which is what I enjoy. I, I enjoy being busy rather than just kind of sitting about waiting for for tickets to come in
1: what's the career path that service provider look like what would you do after core is there a clear path
4: uh yeah so it'd be network architecture um Mm. that would sort of be um the next step obviously you've got your seniors and and tls in between but the the next step from from core is is network design really and i mean that's sort of like the the real end goal for me um so a network architect and, and a JNCIE is where I want to be in like the next five to seven years. Like That's so yeah,
1: I love it. Do you do you have to do um do you have to do maintenances? You day shift. Do you, do, you, do you do both? Like are you working nights and making changes?
4: Yeah, so um I normally work like eight to four, um but then obviously you got your on call and maintenance windows. I'm doing some maintenance last night until um I think about half one. Two o'clock. So the in the morning. So the
1: overnight shift doesn't do that for you. You have to come in at night. Like if you work during the day, you'll have to do maintenance
4: at night. Yeah, So, so um, okay. it's only our knock who are twenty four yeah. seven. Um, but the actual core team um, are only Monday to Friday. We've got on call, but for, for any changes, sort of normally we, we call it level three. Potentially some level fours are above. Normally 10 tend to do out, out of hours.
1: I think we're getting close to the end, but I have to ask, and I think this is all I got, guys. Um, feel free to tell me none of your business. We can't talk about that. But ha- are you leveraging any automation in all this stuff? Uh, are you writing? I always wrote, you know, every script I dropped by hand in a notepad plus plus, you know, copy and pasting and and write like load term set, whatever, show pipe, compare. And so are, are you leveraging any automation? Are you allowed to talk about that?
4: Yeah. Um, I mean, recently, um, we've had a project that's been ongoing for, I think it's like the past four years. Um, so essentially, we were looking at expanding our uh, exchange blueprint. So uh, going into different BT exchanges just to basically have growth of the business. Um, I mean, this was before I started, but a lot of the um, configuration at the start was all manual. Um it's got to a point now where um one of our engineers has pretty much wrote scripts for everything. So importing information into Netbox, creating an actual baseline for the device that goes out. Um we we're not fully, fully automated, but we're definitely on the on the tracks of becoming Automated.
1: You're on the journey. You have a source of truth. You said Netbox. And you're yeah. leveraging Python, Ansible, all of it. Yeah,
4: Python, Ansible, and Ginger Templates. Um, I think that's what they are. I'm not fully there yet with the automation side of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're just kind of like buzzwords um, yeah. for, for some of our more experienced engineers. You had me
1: full. When you said Ginger Templates, I'm like, oh, he knows what he's talking about. I better <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I can spell ginger.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Ethan, I just want to echo what you said earlier. Like if, if you're trying to learn something and you don't pick it up right away, don't feel like oh, I can never learn this uh, seek out, you know, there's a bunch of YouTube videos on any given topic, right? Like subnetting. I, I took uh, college classes. I learned how to subnet <laughs> in college. I thought I learned how to subnet in college. It turns mm. out I I kind of grasped the concept of it. I didn't really get it all that well. It wasn't until later on in in my career, like much later on in my career that I watched uh, a course. I think it was a Pluralsight course or maybe I was reading a book. I can't remember now, but the instructor just completely spun how to subnet. And I was like, Oh my God, I get it now. I actually get it now. So when you say you get I, it,
1: can you look at, like, an address with a slash and know exactly, like, host, range, and, like, no matter what it I, is? I always have honestly, to cheat and at, look at it.
0: at one point I could because I practice yeah, yeah. it so much, but now, now right. I, I don't. Like, I can look at the slash and I can know the subnet mask, but I, I would still have to look up the range and, and the mask yeah, yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. So
1: I never got good at subnetting. It just, yeah. you know, I blame my mathematical you know, ineptitudes, but somebody's asking in the chat, do do network engineers, you know, subnet by hand or or do they all use a tool? I mean I'm guessing we're all using subnet calculators. Honestly,
0: I think it depends on how often you have to do it, right? Like Yeah. I I don't have to subnet very often, like because the the networks I'm dealing with, they're they're already designed. They're already built. Like Mm. I'm not I'm not adding new stuff. And if I am, it's usually the customers assigning the IP ranges for what I'm doing, so I don't have to suck that a whole lot.
1: It depends on the yeah. environment too, maybe because yeah. I was a WAN guy and we were. It was like usually slash thirties or slash thirty one. So just because yeah, I did it so much, I, yeah, I knew just looking at it, like oh yeah, 45, You know, I could do the math quick in my head. The two addresses in
4: there, right. in that, range. and I mean, it, if if you're using NetBox, it it automatically does it for you. So oh nice. That that's that's another way that you leverage it. Like I say, I can't actually remember the last time that I actually had to do. Manual subnetting.
0: If
1: Roddy Hassan is out there listening to this, they use slash thirty ones. Roddy, <laughs> <laughs> we're all using slash thirty ones. It's like Roddy's trigger word of like, no, it's
0: not right. It doesn't. It's,
1: it's not how they wrote the thing. I'm like, dude, everybody uses slash thirty ones. I'm way and stop. Fo- it. <laughs> followed by
3: followed by IPv6.
0: <laughs> That's great. Um. So so Ethan, I- if you were going to to try to pitch. Service provider life or recruit somebody uh, into what you do, how would you do it? What what are some of the things you love about what you do? Everything. (laughs) It's uh,
4: it's a simple way to put it. Um, I mean, like I said, there's just so many benefits that you've got in a service provider network. It's just, you can just deep dive so many new and upcoming technologies different vendors just getting so much exposure to all different areas and just working with really really talented engineers i mean i'm not saying there's not talented engineers in enterprise but kind of for, for the sp tracks it's like i haven't seen a lot of people who are really specifically certified in that she's not really a lot of training but yeah just Service provider, it's just great.
1: He just pulled an almost famous line. It's a movie, I don't know if anybody here has seen, (laughs) but at the very end of the movie, this kid who's been trying to interview this rock star through the whole movie finally gets his interview. They're sitting on a bus and he, you know, whatever the guy's name is, he says, you know, first question, what do you love about music? The guy goes, well... To start with, everything. Like <laughs> you just gave the everything answer. <laughs> what do you love about Service Provider? Everything, man. Yeah, but it probably great. shows your passion too. You just you've you found your niche. You've you know, you love what you're doing, and it is an a never ending uh, just rabbit hole of of technology that you could never uh, you, you'll never get to the end, right? Learning all the stuff going on in the Service Provider Network.
0: Yeah, huh? yeah, absolutely. You seen um
4: Chris's comment there.
0: Yeah, some enterprises get so big they actually implement service provider technology for themselves. Yeah, that's very true. Some of their WANs can get very large.
1: So at my old, one of my old jobs, yeah, we we built our own MPLS backbone. We meaning them, and I just sat there going, "Whoa, this is cool." <laughs> 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 yeah, but he's right. Yeah, you get big enough, yeah, to just kind of create your own backbone.
4: It's like the dark arts, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when when you kind
0: of get into that. I love it. I love it. Ethan, this has been a super fun conversation. Unfortunately, we got to put a wrap on it. Where can uh, people find you if they want to learn more about you and follow you?
4: Yes. Yeah, so uh, people can find me on LinkedIn, I'm Ethan Jackson, and you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Ethernet. Uh, so that's ETH4N3T. Awesome.
0: I will uh, drop both of those in the show notes. Ethan, thank you so much for joining us tonight. This has been so much fun. Uh, any any last minute, like what? Should we have asked you, maybe we didn't. Any any uh, last minute thoughts before we depart here?
4: No, it's been an absolute pleasure, gentlemen. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Likewise. You and
0: and uh, you know, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, you can finally go get some sleep because I think we're, <laughs> we're coming up on like, uh, what, 3 o'clock in the morning there, 2 o'clock yes. in the morning? Yes, yeah, 3 a.m. Yeah, Ugh. yeah.
1: You might as well awesome. just stay up, man. Just go put a pot of coffee <laughs> and
4: you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll be up in about two hours. Oh. Study for that next cert. Oh. How are you going to
1: get the JNCAE if you sleep, buddy? Come on, man. Get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Early mornings, maybe.
0: There you yeah, go. Yeah. There we go. All right, Ethan. Thanks again for joining us. Go get some shut-eye, and we will see you next time on the next episode of the Art of Network Engineering podcast. Thanks for watching A1. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, this is AJ. If you like what you heard today, then make sure you subscribe to our podcast and your favorite podcatcher. Smash that bell icon to get notified of all of our future episodes. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Art of Net Eng. That's Art of N-E-T-E-N-G. You can also find us on the web at artofnetworkengineering.com where we post all of our show notes. You can read blog articles from the co-hosts and guests and also a lot more news and info from the networking world. Thanks for listening.